Hello, 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 and welcome, welcome, welcome to this here episode of the Pixelated Sausage Show. Hi, 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 hi. I'm, of course, your host, Marcus Nez. It feels like it's been forever. It's only been a week, but uh, with the whole way the show was, every uh, other... <laughs> it wasn't every other something or another. It was twice a week. But uh, going from twice a week to once a week, it's going to feel like forever since the last episode because there's literally like half as much time or there's twice as much time i'm uh, in reverse baby i'm in reverse baby but uh you know it's not in reverse this podcast because if it was it would sound like no one wants to hear that but i've got some games to talk about tv shows guess what if you thought star trek the next generation was over and done with and we weren't going to talk about it anymore you're an idiot then you know this is we got like a month of this shit left i am about halfway through the fifth season so i've got roughly 70 episodes left which you know is less than half i'm just gonna say more than half keeping with the whole reverse thing but i am still enjoying it it's it's at the point where I just kind of want it to end, which I don't say because I'm disliking it, but just because it's a lot and I've watched a lot in a relatively short period of time. And it is still its inconsistent self. It still isn't as good as the original series. That one just clicked so well, even though the final season, the third season of that was pretty bad. The crew just, they just meshed. And I guess you get more of that with the next generation as it continues or as it goes on. The crew starts to feel more comfortable with each other. But it doesn't, it it could just be that I'm comparing it so much to the original series because I watched the original series so recently and it's so fresh in my mind and that when the next generation came out, out there was that huge gap between the two series but it's hard not to look at both of them and see the ways in which the next generation fails but there are some really good points i think the character who gets the most love and and is easily the most interesting at this point is wharf every time we get an episode focused on the Klingon culture and society and learn more about him personally as a character and not just the Klingons as a whole. I think those are all really, really good. And I think the the show does a really good job of developing him as a character and giving us little bits of extra information as it goes on. Whereas Troy is still just a garbage character. I wish that uh, Troy... I just, she's just a useless, pointless, dumb character. And anytime it focuses on her, you see how worthless she is. And it, it sucks because it would be nice to have great female characters, but no, not her. Crusher's all right. Uh, I will say that the, the show, whenever, whenever it's dealing with any type of romantic storyline or subplot or anything of that nature. It's really, really bad. It's horrible with love and romance. Outside of maybe the Klingon thing, which is essentially two episodes, maybe three? I can't remember. The the mother of Worf's child... It may have only been two episodes where she is first introduced and they meet and they, you know, do their little thing. Then comes back and shows him the kid and I think she dies in that episode. Oh, she does die in that episode. Like, I can't remember if there was a, a little something sandwich in between those two. I can't remember. But I think they did that pretty well because, I, I don't know. <laughs> I, I can't give you a reason why that one works and everything else is terrible. Maybe it's just that humans and romance are dumb dumbs and 
whatever. It just feels more often than not like the show is written by a bunch of sexually... What's... what's I had the word in my head, sexually repressed people. And it just doesn't work. It's really, really bad. And every time they do it, I'm like, please move on. Same with kids. Not great with kids often. It's not even that the storylines themselves are bad. It's just that finding kids who aren't annoying to look at and watch is hard to do. Because most kids suck. But... I can't say I see the light at the tunnel because there's still 70 or so episodes left. There are 26 episodes in a season at this point. So I got 52, 4, 7, and 6. And then I'm at episode 16 with season 5. So, yeah, whatever that is. 11, or no, that'd be 10, right? Because I'm at 16. So, yeah, roughly, roughly 70 episodes. Not give or take. 72, 73. That's enough about Starship the Next Generation, okay? Just just know that we're, we're going to be here for a while. We're going to be here for a while. And I am jumping. I might take a break. But I am planning to watch Deep Space Nine and all that jazz, which I may have said the last episode. I can't remember. It's all a blur. Speaking of Blur and Oasis, eh, I, I have watched a few movies, so not just Star Trek The Next Generation. I wanted to give Mel Brooks one last shot to win me over and maybe explore his catalog deeper than I've explored in the past because the only movies of his I've seen are Young Frankenstein, Blazing Saddles, Robin Hood Men in Tights, and like 10 minutes, if that, of Spaceballs. And then the producers, both of the producers, the original and the remake with Nathan Lane and Matthew Broderick. I think that's it. He did, not the meaning of life, that's Monty Python. He did, he did something of that nature, right? The world... (laughs) I feel like I watched five minutes of that one, though, so I can't really... I mean, clearly, from my memory, I didn't watch it. But I started with... I wanted to start with the two movies of his I think are the best, which are Blazing Saddles and Young Frankenstein. I watched Young Frankenstein again a while ago. I don't don't know if I talked about it here. But that is easily his best movie, in my opinion. And the only movie of his I think is actually good. And it's because he is very much so uh, a parody director. He does parodies and all that jazz. But with Young Frankenstein, it still feels like a movie. As opposed to just a bunch of jokes with punchlines. And it's clear with Young Frankenstein that Brooks has a lot of love for the universal monsters and all of that stuff and in addition to being a parody of those movies it is also a love letter to them it is his take on that type of movie it is his version of one of those movies whereas blazing saddles and and blazing saddles is kind of almost there but what kills blazing saddles for me is the ending the last 10 or so minutes Because up until that point, Blazing Saddles is a fun and funny, for the most part, take on Westerns and flipping a lot of things on their head and having fun with stereotypes. Some really, really great jokes and general humor, general vibe to it. But it is a case, and these are rare, where... The ending completely ruins the entirety of what came before. And I know some of you will probably be saying, how how can you let the last five, ten minutes of a movie ruin the rest of it? That's just how it goes, you know? Why, Why let the final season of Game of Thrones ruin the entire series? Because it fucking ruins the entire series. It just shits on 
everything that came before and especially my favorite character who had the most to me the most interesting character arc, jamie lannister just says never mind and with blazing saddles it goes from this fun parody take on the western and becomes this movie within a movie meta bullshit that i just did not like i could see that working i guess maybe in something else but with blazing saddles it just completely takes me out of that whole experience because i don't know maybe it's because you're having fun with the genre and you're playing against certain stereotypes and when you go all meta and make it that it's just a movie within a movie it's not really that oh they're they're doing all this stuff and having these race things and whatnot it, it doesn't matter because it's not actually a western it's just it, it's taking place in contemporary times of of that time in the present day of that time so wh who fucking cares all these things you're flipping on their head it doesn't matter because it's not actually a, a western it's, it's a fucking movie about a movie it's it just ruins the whole thing for me and I knew that was my issue going in, that the ending bothered me. I didn't realize how much it bothered me until this rewatch. So with that, I'm probably done with my Mel Brooks rewatch. Because <laughs> I, I did attempt Robin Hood Menentides maybe a month ago, and it didn't, it didn't last long. And I was thinking, you know, okay, maybe I'll give it a proper go and just power through it. But I think I'm just over Brooks. I remember liking stuff when I was younger, especially Robin Hood Men in Tights. That was probably my favorite when I was a wee lass. But alas, no more do I like the Brooks. Except you're for young Frankenstein. Which again, his, his only movie that, of the ones I've seen, that feels like an actual movie and not just a parody, not just some jokey joke fest. So, there's that. It definitely does help too because when I first watched it, I kind of I thought it was all right, but I had yet to see the Universal Monsters movies that it was a take on. And then after I watched them, I really appreciated Young Frankenstein a whole hell of a lot more. So if you've never seen any of those, so if you've never seen Young Frankenstein or the Universal Monster movies, definitely watch the monster movies first. Then Young Frankenstein. And I think you'll be able to get a lot out of it. And of the Universal Monsters movies, I'm going to put this out there. I don't know what... I don't think this is the popular consensus is all. Consensus? <sighs> but I think The Invisible Man is easily the best. The second would probably be Frankenstein. And then... Maybe Bride. I've only seen Bride once. My my inclination is to go Mummy, and then Bride, then Dracula, and then Wolfman. But maybe even Wolfman before Dracula. Dracula is. I I can't remember. I think Dracula and Frankenstein came out the same year, but I think Dracula was first. And then it was The Mummy, then Invisible Man and Wolfman's quite a few years later. And then I don't know if they also include Swamp Man or, or not Swamp Man, Creature from the Black Lagoon. Uh, but that that's quite a bit a ways as well. But Invisible Man is the only one that I think is actually scary and is more than just, oh, look at this kind of campy, silly thing from back in the day. And a large part of that is because of Claude Rain's incredible performance, which is very much so exclusively vocal because he is the invisible man. There are plenty of instances where he is just straight up invisible or completely masked up, which I'm assuming that wasn't him whenever they're doing that. But there are some really intense moments in The Invisible Man and points at which he does horrendous things 
like the, the train derailment. He's just, he is a murdering fiend, and he's just lo- like the gradual losing of his mind and everything. It works really, really well, and I love that movie. But then the rest are all kind of, they're pretty good. They have a lot of nice visual stylings to them. And they, they have a good little mood, but The Invisible Man is easily my favorite of those movies. But uh, yeah, before I, I jump on to, I'm going to jump on to it. Uh, before I get to what I've been playing, jump to it. Uh, I also watched Detective Story from 1951 with Kirk Douglas and other people. And I did not know it was a stage play being adapted into a movie when I rented it from the library because I saw it was getting a Blu-ray release and I love Kirk Douglas, but it was immediately apparent or I just assumed it had to be given the way everyone was acting because they were acting for the stage, but in a movie. And that is the problem with many stage play adaptations is that they forget to change things for the medium they are making this version for. And it's why I don't like the majority of adaptations because it just feels like, okay, this this is this doesn't work in movie form because you're you're still treating it like a stage play. You're still overacting like crazy, which you need to do uh, when performing in a theater. You need to over-exaggerate and be larger than life in that space. But on a movie screen, on a TV screen, you need to get back to reality a bit. And the acting is just all over the place in this movie. Some people are really, really bad with the theatrical nature of their acting. The dude, Charlie or Chuck, whoever it is, the one perpetrator who ends up shooting Kirk Douglas in the end. Spoilers, who fucking cares? None of you are going to watch this movie. But he is really bad at the theatrical acting. And he has a little monologue early on, which is like, oh, and then it went this way. And then it went all. And his eye contact, where he's looking, etc., is all done in a way that makes sense if you're watching this on a stage. But in this scene, in this space within the movie, it doesn't make sense for him to behave in this way around these other characters. It's like, what are you doing? Are you performing for them? Like, what? what is happening? It, it just comes across as a bunch of people performing as opposed to being real people. And that's the difference between movies and theater. Theater is very much so a performance for your audience, and a movie is something a bit more subdued, not the way I look at it, at least. And so... I mean, it's also just kind of a dumb story, but the fact that there wasn't a lot done to make it feel like a movie as opposed to just a stage play being filmed on location instead of on a stage uh, made it a bit disappointing. I was excited because I really like Kirk Douglas, and he's he's pretty all right in it until the end like the story just gets really really silly and stupid at the end but yeah don't watch it not 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 really worth watching all right so let us get on to what i've been playing everyone starting with cereal cleaners and this is a game where you play a cleaner a group of cleaners for a mob or whatnot and there are four cleaners that you can play as, all with their distinct play styles. The main dude can bag bodies, and I don't know if he really has anything particularly distinct to him. But another one is crazy. They call him Psycho, I believe. And he likes to chainsaw people up and put them in wood chippers. His little introductory mission is very fargo Esque, and not it's not kind of Fargo ish. It is 100% Fargo because you're you're cutting up bodies and then putting them in a wood chipper, and then you have the 
agile black woman who can jump over fences. And that's her thing. She's she's very agile. And then your Asian hacker. <laughs> it's all very stereotypical. Uh, but she's she's good at hacking shit and walking through not sewer grates. What are they called? Air air things. You know, with the grates and all that stuff. Air conductors. <laughs> but uh the main setup of the game is that you go to these crime scenes after the shit's gone down and you gotta clean up all the crap that's there. So you need to collect all the evidence and dispose of the bodies. These locations can be public places, they can be private homes, private residence, etc. And the way you go about doing this is one, every single character has a vacuum cleaner and it doesn't matter what surface you're on. If you're on, you know, the Fargo dude, if you're on snow, guess what? Vacuum cleaner works. You don't need to plug it in either. It's battery powered or solar powered, so you're all good. And you just vacuum up the blood so that that evidence is gone. You have a certain meter or you have a meter and a certain amount you need to clean up. You don't need to get all of it, but you need to get most of it in order to complete a level, to finish a level, to be able to leave, to escape, get away, as they put it. And then you have small pieces of evidence, which you can just pick up, or the big pieces of evidence, which you have to carry over to wherever your disposing place is, whether it be the trunk of a car, a an elevator shaft, etc. And you can also throw the big pieces of evidence at people to knock them out if you want. So you want to throw a bag at a cop and knock them out for a little bit? Have at it. But you won't really need to do that because the AI in this game is stupid as shit. And that's what takes away from it. Uh, in addition to, of course, the big evidence, you also have the people, the bodies that you have to dispose of. And you want to wrap them up in certain cases so that they won't be leaving a blood trail. And it's it's something that could be kind of fun, but the AI and the lack of any difficulty options, so you're you're stuck with what you get, makes it so that any hope for tension within levels is lost because the AI is dumb as shit. When you move any body or piece of evidence that was clearly within the line of sight or the pathway of an enemy, uh, they'll notice it. They'll go over there, but like, huh, what's this? And then they'll just fucking go off uh, and do their thing again. If they see you and they see you long enough that you trigger them to start chasing you, you go around a corner and you just duck. You're good. They don't. They don't really look all that much. And it just makes the whole thing lose any tension, as I said, but also any interest in. in Without that tension, without having to really worry about getting caught or failing, unless you're just being super, super lazy, it makes the game immediately unexciting and boring and dull and tedious in ways where you just kind of have to wait for uh, an enemy to go about their their path and get out of the way of a piece of evidence, etc., there isn't a lot of creative thinking required for how you would get a piece of evidence or a body from where it is to your disposing location, etc. So you don't have to think too hard about anything. The AI is stupid. And I don't know if like maybe some people think it thinks it's uh think it thinks it's funny, but Vacuuming up blood on snow to me is just a stupid. Find something else for these characters other than just a vacuum cleaner for everything. But uh Yeah, with the hacker, you can you can go into like a terminal or a computer or whatever and turn lights off the that way to create distractions and whatnots or open up 
this, that, whatnot. There's a bit of story, except there are plenty of instances, at least early on, where you are jumping between the characters and picking dialogue options for all of them. So it doesn't really feel like you're... It doesn't feel like there's an actual story full of characters with their own personality when you're able to shape all of them somewhat yourself. When you are able to pick how all the characters react instead of just having one character that you are in control of and everyone reacts to the way you're acting, it's it doesn't work. It doesn't make sense either. It's it's silly. It's like playing Mass Effect and in addition to picking all the dialogue options for Shepard, you also got to pick the dialogue options for the other characters as well so that you can make it so that they react to you the way you want them to and shape their personality instead of them all being their own defined characters who you interact with with your version of Shepard. So that, that doesn't really work all that well for me. But ultimately, it's just that the game is is boring in large part because the AI is so stupid. And there's just no challenge or interest there. And I, I only played through the introductory missions for everyone. So maybe things change, but I, I wasn't driven to keep playing after that because of uh, how boring it was. Then... The Gallery is an FMV game with two different stories in it that are very similar to each other. It's just that one takes place in the 80s and one takes place in the present day. And I think it's 81 and then 2021. I started with 81 and it wasn't bad. It reminded me of a recent movie that came out, The Outfit. And... One of the problems with this was that the outfit is just better. I think the outfit's not a great movie, but when you compare it to this, it's fantastic. And it's not a fair comparison because that's a big Hollywood movie and this is a small indie game. Uh, so comparing those two isn't, isn't really fair. But it, it wasn't bad. The problem with the gallery, which is a story, the 81 version is uh, about a young curator of this art gallery and her getting held hostage by this dude who just comes in, puts a bomb under her chair, says he wants to paint her, and then other shit happens. I'll leave that as a mystery, as a surprise. But the problem with it is that as fun as it is at times, as interesting as it gets at times, there's way too much downtime. There's way too much nothing between exciting moments where the characters are just talking and are making the weakness of the script more known than you would otherwise because it's just... I don't even want to call it exposition. It's just it's just filler. And it's not it's not interesting. It doesn't help that I don't know where I was going with that. It's just there's there's just all this dead space between the the heights, between the, the high moments. And I got bored with it. I wasn't engaged with the story when it started to drag and you'd have these characters just talking and talking and talking about stuff that I didn't find interesting. And some of the story beats are stupid but not fun stupid. There are a fair amount of choices that you get to make too which are fine and I, I i mean i want that in these it's just i don't know i struggle with a lot of fmv games because 
inherently they're not going to be of the same production value as a Hollywood movie, etc. And so knowing that they really need to play up certain things. And I think with the gallery, it's trying to be a bit too traditional in a, a way. And also, sheesh. Oh my God, the fucking wigs were horrible. Horrible, horrible wigs. Get some better wigs. Put more money in the wig department because they look fucking terrible. But then the the 2021 version, I lasted maybe 10 minutes, if that. Because the 81 version, at least, has a more interesting vibe. The setting is... It, the thing is, it's it's following a more traditional art gallery with traditional art and has a more pleasing aesthetic, whereas the modern day one, the present day one, is very hipstery, douchebag, yuppie, crap, garbage, shit, fucking fest with all the type of artists today that I can't stand when I was at art school, like these are the people who are so ugh. I hate, I hate these people. If you want to be around people, a bunch of people you hate, uh, fucking play that version. And I was gone pretty much after they had the opening bit because if you if you play both of them, you'll see that they're very much so the same thing, and, and there'll be little ways in which they're different, but they're telling the same exact story, and certain story beats are exactly the same but it's one being in present day where you have social media and all that and one where that's not the case but in the opening bit for both you have a journalist type dude coming in to look at paintings and and wants to report on them whatever but he's there to see a specific painting in the 81 version, he's looking to see like a classic painting or whatever. But in the modern day one, the dude is like, Oh, yeah, I'll come here to see this picture of my love from this Instagram thing. Oh, my, my beautiful Sheila, whatever her fucking name is. Oh, I'll come here to see his, you know, she's the fucking best. I fucking love her, no cap. And the second he said no cap, I'm like, Get this fucking. Twitch vocabulary out of my fucking face. I'm done. This is stupid. I hate these people. I'm going to have to deal with this. The one dude, the gallery owner, he's fucking wearing weird-ass pants that are hemmed a little bit higher so that no matter what, you're going to see his fucking socks. And he's not wearing socks. And that there's nothing wrong with not wearing socks. But he's got his pants all the way up high, too. Like, they're probably covering his belly button. And he's got a tucked-in shirt. And he's wearing one of those freaking Texas not tie things but the thing with the like you know it could be a skull it could be a ball or whatever but it has the two strings I, what is he wearing i don't like this and i was just like get the fuck away from me i don't want to i don't want to engage with these people because i hate these people and it, if i had to engage with them in real life i'd freaking i'd let the freaking hostage person the what do they call him what's the hostage taker the hostage taker just if they put a bomb under my chair, I'd, I'd fucking stand up immediately in the 2021 version. I'd at least sit in and watch for a while in the 81 version. But, you know, your mileage will vary. I maybe just am not that keen on FMV games. I can't think of... There has yet to be a Doki Doki for FMV games for me. And maybe that is something like her story, those games, where there's more going on i haven't played those so yeah then uh moon scars is a 2d side scrolling roguelike metroidvania like souls like and it's it's got a lot going for it in that the combat feels pretty good in certain cases and the animations are fantastic. That's the highlight of the game. The art's pretty alright, but the muted color palette and lack of variety within it 
and relatively relative sameness of a lot of the environments is a bit of a letdown, but the animations are fantastic, especially your heavy attacks, which have a good amount of wind up and they just visually all the attacks and the animations are very, very good. But it one has a incredibly convoluted story that I could not care less about. I was immediately out because they kept shoving a bunch of shit down my throat right at the beginning and I didn't know what the hell they were talking about. And I was like, I don't really care either. This doesn't sound... This sounds dumb. But when I started playing it, I said to myself, oh, this, this feels pretty good. You've got your basic attack, heavy attack, a magic system, and a dodge dash. And uh, the ability to parry. The problem with the game is twofold. The combat, as good as it is, it it loses its enjoyment the second you're being attacked by a group of enemies. And part of that is because the parry system is finicky in that when they introduce it, they tell you that you can only parry when enemies flash red to indicate that they're they're attacking in a way, uh, going to be doing an attack that you can parry. However, the way it words it, I think, makes it sound like you should be parrying the second you see that notification, that, that on-screen notification, the red. That's not the way it works. All that means is that they are about to attack you with the attack that can be parried. And the timing will vary from enemy to enemy because their attacks all differ. And what you really want to do is parry just before they're about to hit their attack. And that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. The parry window seems to be pretty generous. However, when multiple enemies are attacking you at once, and you're seeing red flash all over the screen and it becomes this kind of jumbled mess, it's hard to know who's attacking first, when to parry, if the person who's attacking first is... Fa- like, you have to be facing the enemy, of course, to parry. You can't, you can't parry someone who's attacking you from behind. And it the, the combat immediately loses its enjoyment again as soon as you're fighting against multiple enemies with varying attacks and varying attack speeds, uh, attack timings, because it makes it so you may try and parry an attack, but you were timing it wrong, timing it for something else, or expecting this, that, or whatever, and then you get into this loop where you take damage from this person, and then you take damage from this person, and it's a mess. The heavy attacks that look incredible take a bit of time to wind up and do their thing. And during that whole process, you are vulnerable. You don't get iframes while you're winding up and all that. So those, as good as they look, are almost immediately useless because of the danger with them. You can use them essentially, or their their use case is mainly... If you're only fighting a one-on-one enemy and you know their timing relatively well and you space things out correctly and also in cases where you may stun an enemy and are free to just do whatever. But for the most part, I find that if you are facing a bunch of enemies, the best strategy is attack, attack, attack. Whenever you see red, just dash, dash away. You have unlimited dash. I don't think there there was a stamina system. I don't remember because I was able to just dash as much as I wanted. So just do that. The flying enemies can be really annoying because when when a flying enemy is attacking you, I don't feel like there's any... It's not like with other enemies where if they are attacking you facing one direction, they're just going to attack in that direction. I feel like the flying enemies will just fucking... If they're within your vicinity, they'll just fucking hit you no matter what direction they're facing. But 
that is that is how I would handle things. I would just attack, 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 dash away, attack, 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 dash away, and parry when I am fighting smaller groups. And I wish, I wish the game was more. I think this is how it was, but a recent game that has a very similar aesthetic, I believe it was called Blasphemy, and it was way more of a one-on-one type of game where I think you could die in one hit, and that was kind of one of its things, or I may be thinking of something else. But I wish enemy encounters and fights were way more nuanced and... They didn't have a lot of these group things because the the game, the combat specifically, feels really good when doing that. the The upgrade system is all right. You have your basic things where you get like little traits that you lose upon death, like ten percent to this, etc. But you can also find permanent health upgrades and mana upgrades in the in the the world. And that somewhat gets to problem number two, which is the magic system is fucking weird, and I don't like it. And I don't like it because there's there's no... The way you regenerate your mana, I'm not sure if they call it mana, but the way you regenerate it is by attacking enemies or certain structures. You can just keep attacking them, and you can't destroy them with regular attacks, but you can attack them to build up magic in some cases. But the, the way it works is that you use this for your magic attacks and also healing. When you use it for magic attacks, it permanently limits the amount of magic you can use until you've done enough attacks attacks to done enough damage to enemies after doing that. But you need your magic attack to destroy certain structures in the environment to continue progressing. But there were already instances pretty early on. I played the game for maybe an hour and a half or so. And there were already multiple instances early on where I got to a structure I needed to destroy and I couldn't do it because I did not have the mana to do it. And that meant going backward a significant amount of way to find something where I could beat it up and, and get my mana back. Or going to the sanctuary essentially, which would then bring back enemy. Like it just it halts the progression in a way that doesn't seem worth the the system. I, I understand the risk-reward type of system I think they're going for, where using magic attacks can be beneficial, but you're also going to be putting yourself at a disadvantage when doing it. But I think then the magic system shouldn't be required for certain things in the game. And the, the general level design, at least early on, is pretty not great. In that, and this is maybe the worst not compliment you can give a game and its level design. I'm pretty sure this is a handcrafted world. But it sure as hell feels like a procedurally generated one and uh i i can't think of a worse thing to say uh, for for like a level designer to hear is that your 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 handcrafted level design the the levels that you built yourself they feel like you just made an algorithm and you put them in and it just fucking spat out this shit but that's how that's how it feels i'll maybe put some more time into it but the the magic system is a bit of a bummer the way in which combat loses a lot of its appeal with group fights is a bummer. And it's just a bit of a dour game with a story that is just not doing anything for me. And then last but not least is Despo's game, 
which is another roguelike, but an auto battler. And the way this game works is that you have your group of stick figures and you equip them with various weapons and you go from room to room. And when you get into a room, you see on a certain part of the screen, little indicators showing you how many enemies you'll be fighting uh, against within, in that room. And depending on the size of the indicators, how strong each of them will be. And then you position your characters, your group, in the way you think would be best to handle a situation. So putting melee and shielded uh, characters up front would make sense. Your range characters in the back, etc. And then uh, I'm playing on Xbox. You press the Y button and it initiates combat and you just watch it play out and hope for the best. When combat is over, you'll get a bit of currency, which you can then use to get more combatants for your group, buy weapons to equip for them, or food to feed them, because with each room you have to feed all of your people, because, man, you know, fighting is hard work, it's hungry work. And it's a game I could see myself really, really liking. The problem with it, more so than anything, is that navigating the UI with the controller is awful. And it's awful because the way it works is that you've got a lot of elements in all the corners of the screen. And to get to a certain element, you have to press the right analog stick to get to that particular element. And then you use the left analog stick to navigate within that element. This is immediately cumbersome. And there were times where I'm like, wait, am I in the right element? How, how do I get to this element? Wait, why? I, I don't even know if I can get out of this element. Why am I getting stuck in this element? I want to get over here to this side of the screen. Why am I still just scrolling through this? And the whole time I was thinking, <laughs> you know what would make this real nice? If I could just move a cursor around a screen and click on what I wanted to do and just do it that way. And that isn't a problem with the game. It's just a problem with the particular platform I was playing it on, which is Xbox. But it is, I believe, a... What do you call it? Play Anywhere title? Because it is on Xbox PC as well. However, I'm still nervous about installing anything via the Xbox app. Uh, I should look into that to see if it's all 100% A-OK. -okay, but I do not want to lose hard drive space to some stupid way in which Xbox games install and, and shit. I think it might be resolved at this point, but I, I've not looked into it recently. But I think Despo's game is something that you could learn to get used to with a controller for sure. I think if I wanted to, I could get used to it. But I don't want to. It is so clear that the game would feel a lot better on mouse and keyboard, specifically just being able to navigate the UI with a mouse, which is true for many strategy games. When you've got a lot of stuff on screen, a lot of different menus, a lot of different things you can navigate, it's so much easier. And I wish, I just wish more games on Xbox supported mouse and keyboard because it's a possibility. It's a thing you could do. And if you have a PC version, why not just have the option there for when you're playing on the console huh do it so yeah the whole auto battling thing i don't mind but keep in mind that is what it is once you initiate a battle you have no control over it but uh it seems all right it just seems like a a game you should play on pc if you have the means i if you don't have the means you can give it a shot it's it is on game pass i think so you can at least try it for free. Oh. Yeah, because it's not on PlayStation. It is PC and Xbox only for the time being. That's it in terms of what I've been playing. So let's get on to some Patreon questions. First and foremost, I just want to say we got one from Diego Chico, aka Live and Large. But that came in today 
Thursday, way past the deadline. Read the thing. Read the deadline, live and learn. So I'm not answering your question. Feel free to ask it next week or for next week's episode when I post the questionnaire for that. But I'm I'm not I'm not going to give in and break the, the rules of this, even though I'm recording it after you ask the question, because that's not how it works. So from Lunchbox, we have, what is the first thing you do when you're trying to quiet your brain and decompress? First thing I do is obvious, probably, and what I presume a lot of people do, and that is I disconnect. So any social media, Discord, etc., anything where... I could interact with other people, anything that will bring notifications. So I'll put my phone in airplane mode, etc. I don't want anything buzzing at me. I don't want anything near me that allows me to interact with other people. I just want to be alone within my space, distraction free. And then I likely or usually will go for a walk depending on the weather etc but outside of that I, I might do something like I have some Chinese medicine balls or little plushy things and I'll just kind of squishy squishy rolly rolly I don't know but it's the most important thing for me is just disconnecting So I'll close out completely from Discord and stuff like that and just get away. Get away from any means of interaction and just be with myself, which may sound like a not great thing, but it it works. It works. It works. And then from Jedi, what's your favorite arcade game? Time Crisis 2. Easy. Easy, easy, easy. It may not be my favorite game that is available in arcades, but it is my favorite arcade game because it gives me an experience that I cannot experience at home. I think Wanster mentioned a while ago about the whole, there's a, I can't remember the, the name of the company, but a recent light gun that does work with older consoles, or like the PlayStation 1, maybe PlayStation 2, I can't remember. But that there were two versions, a, a basic version and then one that does have the recoil. And that would be crucial because what I love about Time Crisis 2 is that, one, the game is great. It is a great light gun game. And the whole pedal thing of ducking and all that in the Time Crisis series is fun. But specifically starting with the second one, because I don't believe they had it with the first one. The gun con controller whatever they call it with that recoil that significant kickback and recoil added so much to that game and the experience that it was the game i always gravitated towards whenever i went to the arcade i wanted to play that game more than anything because that feeling that sensation from each press of the trigger was super satisfying and for me Arcade games are always best when they are providing you with something you can't get otherwise. So, at the time, even probably back in those days, you were able to get a wheel and do a whole fancy setup. That would be very expensive, but racing games were always appealing for that. Jumbo Safari was a great game because whether you were in a, a full cabinet or the standing one, just the little like joystick whatever that you would flick to throw your net that that was a very satisfying action silent scope making you feel like you were actually looking down the scope of a sniper rifle super satisfying so stuff like that is what I always gravitate towards in the arcade because of that special experience that they felt like But if I had to pick a favorite 
or if I ever owned a cabinet, it would be the Pac-Man and Galaga cocktail cabinet because it is much like cocktail cabinets are way more practical. And those are just two fantastic games. The problem with any type of thing and why I will probably never own a cabinet of any kind is just the fact that I've never looked into it in any great detail. The cost, the initial cost, whatever. I don't, I don't care. I could save up and do that. I don't think it's so crazy pricey that it would be unobtainable. But I feel like the maintenance would be annoying. And maybe I'm overestimating how much maintenance is involved. But I feel like that would be where owning a cabinet might get annoying. But I don't know. I don't know. So yeah. Time Crisis 2. Easily my favorite. But I, I liked a lot of arcade games. I mean, I also have a lot of love. Shout out to Die Hard Arcade. Which I played and beat at some arcade around Disney World when I was like eight years old or whatever. Love that game. Wish it wasn't so stupid expensive. For what, the Sega Saturn, I think, is what it came out on? I can't remember. And I never played the the, the game. It's it, a version of Dynamite Cop or whatever. I don't think so. I don't know. But uh, that will do for this year episode of the Pixelated Sausage Show. Not to, not to ignore this, but uh, streaming is over. I created a goal on Patreon that if I hit that, I'll, I'll return to streaming. It's not a crazy goal or anything, but it is a goal. It is a goal that means I will not be streaming for a very long time. It's a very moderate goal. Yeah, not crazy. But to those who miss the streaming, I'm sorry. Yeah, it just is what it is. It, it just doesn't make sense. Uh, I'm going to focus on making the YouTube stuff better. Maybe making a few new things or experimenting with other series ideas, etc. With that extra time. And just, I think, to Lunchbox's question, decompressing on somewhat of a grander scale with this decision. But I can talk about that at a later date. This this episode has gone pretty long already, and uh, I'm 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 thirsty. I'm thirsty. I want to take a shower. I want to get the hell out of here. So uh, that will do it. This episode of the Pixelated Sausage Show, as I said not that long ago, and uh, once again I am Marcus Ness. Y'all can find me on Twitter, pretty much everywhere at PX Sausage. If you want to check out any of the other stuff I do and what have you, you can do that over at pixelatedsausage.com slash PXS. And if you do enjoy any of this nonsense and what not that I do do while you are listening to this on the crapper, making a nice little poo-poo from your butt-hoo hole, uh, you can uh, support me and my nonsense over at patreon.com slash pxs and with that at the $3 or higher tier you can ask me questions if you get them in before the deadline and you also become an approved user on the YouTubes allowing you to post whatever the hell you want in the comment without replication or whatever reciprocation <laughs> no uh you won't be reprimanded for whatever you do. I mean, that doesn't mean you can just say whatever the hell you want. You, you know you know what you can't say, what you can and can't say. But for the most part, like you can you can swear up a storm and you can post links to your 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 fucking I don't know, your Etsy shop. Or you're you're selling eight bit I I can't think of anything funny. Because I'm not funny. Anywho. Oh, that will do it. So, uh, well, as always, thank you for watching or listening. I hope you enjoy this here episode. And I hope you have a wonderful, wonderful rest of your day. And an absolutely lovely weekend. Bye.
Gut sein. Gut, Eddie.